Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, so much for this opportunity to come before you, to study your word, to be together in community with one another, to engage with you through worship of song. Lord, we ask right now that our study tonight, that our coming together and looking at your word um, with one another and with you, God, that it would transform us, it would change us, um, and that we would become more and more the people of God you've called us to be. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Tonight's message is entitled Encountering God. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 33, beginning in verse 1. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the woman, the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I have already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted. That's the end of our reading for today. Now, as we look at this text, I want to remind ourselves of what has come just before. Last week, Kevin talked about Jacob wrestling with the angel or or messenger of God and wrestling so much that wrestling and refusing to let go until he got that blessing, but being touched in the hip, cracked in the hip and getting a limp for it. And we talked about one thing to remember is that sometimes you have to wrestle God to get the blessing, but you'll take the limp any day, right? You know, that the limp is worth it for that blessing from the Lord. Well, when Jacob wrestled through with that, he had an experience with God that he'd not had before. And Jacob has snuck that blessing away from Esau. This is what Isaac says to Jacob. He says this, may nations serve you, peoples bow down to you, be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. Now, who is the son of the mother here? What are the sons, Jacob and Esau? In the story we just read in Genesis 33, who's bowing down to whom? Jacob to Esau. It's a reversal of this blessing, of this prophetic word that Isaac has given. And you kind of wonder if in that moment, maybe something is happening that's caused, I don't know, maybe when Isaac was blessing Jacob, he sure thought it was Esau. Maybe God has paid attention to something in that blessing. So in this moment, we have Jacob going, bowing down to Esau over and again, having all of the members of his family go and bow down, and Jacob himself bowing down seven times times to Esau. And are these brothers together on all of this or have they been separated as a result of Jacob's deception? 
separated, right? Do you remember Esau is so angry? He's like, I'll kill my brother at some point, and Jacob has to flee. And since that moment of fleeing, they've not yet been back together again. But now they're coming back together, and Jacob, fearful for his life, fearful for the lives of his family, and you can see it in how he orders his most beloved family members furthest back in the line and puts the least beloved, least precious to his heart close to the front of the threat. Isn't that sort of not okay? I'd be like, can you line according to height at least, like, or alphabetical, like not according to least favored? But Jacob, in meeting Esau, is concerned, and yet he goes forward, and he ends up being the one that bows down to his brother in spite of that blessing. He bows down to the ground seven times as he approaches his brother. Esau's response is incredible. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And in the Hebrew, it's a little bit confusing. We're not sure if it says, and he wept or and they wept. Do you remember what it was that Esau did when he found out that Jacob had stolen his blessing? He wept. He cried out aloud. And how was it that Jacob tricked his father into giving him that blessing with a kiss? So this whole story begins with this kiss of deception, but it's ending with the kiss of reconciliation. It's ending with a kiss out of sincere love where Esau, approached by his brother and his brother coming really literally on hands and knees, begging for forgiveness, essentially, comes to his brother, comes to the place where he's going to encounter his brother and has this moment of just making all this huge grand gesture. And as he's bowing, Esau runs to meet him falls down upon him, embraces him, throws his arms around his neck and kisses him. And they weep and brothers are reunited again. And this story that started with competition, with grabbing at a heel, with deception, with trickery, with deceit, with all of this brokenness of a family, of a mother that loved one son more and a father that loved one son more and the competition and the brokenness and all that is now coming to conclusion At the end of Jacob's life, Jacob, who is now Israel, Jacob, who has wrestled with God and gotten a blessing, who has seen the face of God and gotten a blessing, he's now encountering his brother Esau and finding resolution. And Esau is so prepared to forgive, so prepared to run, to throw his arms around his neck, to weep. And for fun, on your own, pay attention to how there's similarities to this story and Jesus' parable of the prodigal sons, the lost sons. Where God the Father runs and rescues and brings home that prodigal son. And here Jacob, Israel, had been prodigal son. And Esau is the one to run, to rescue, to grab hold of, to weep, to bring home. Bringing home Esau, bringing home Israel again. What I find most fascinating about this encounter is this discussion about the face of God. Because you see, when Jacob encounters Esau, he says, For seeing you, brother, it is like seeing the face of God. 
But he also said that about this encounter. Why is it that these two things are both encountering the face of God? How is it that wrestling with an angel, wrestling with some messenger of God, wrestling with the divine is seeing the face of God and also seeing his brother and coming before his brother and having this reconciliation is also the face of God. Because in my life, I'd be like, listen, if I saw the face of God, I think it's that thing, right? Something mysterious and mystical and esoteric and of the divine. And when we talk about having encounters with God, when we talk about seeing God's face, we talk about something that's out of this world, that, that is inexpressible, that we can't describe it to another person as we try to explain it. Like if I were to say, I saw the face of God, I wrestled with God and I won, you'd be like, dang, that's kind of impressive and crazy. But if I said, I saw my brother and we reconciled, you'd be like, sure, that kind of happens. But Jacob uses the same language for both events. And what I love about this is that we have a faith of tensions. We have a faith that says when you encounter God and a mystical, incredible experience, that is the face of God. And when you, when you encounter the most human moment of two brothers who have been broken and separated and where there's been deception and deceit, and when you start to see them come back together and reconcile, that too is the divine. That also is the face of God. That it's not just these fancy, amazing mountaintop experiences, but it's, it's the moments where we start to see brother to brother come back together again. Where we see spouse and spouse reconcile, mother and son, mother and daughter, sisters and brothers. That is the moment where we see the face of God. Why is it that whenever we talk about encountering the divine, we only talk about something spooky? How is it that we have lost our way so much that when we encounter a relationship with one another, when we encounter deep healing in one another, that somehow we've not called that also God in that moment, that we've not also called that in that moment, God at work, a demonstration of the divine. But Jacob says both of these things, both of these moments, it's like seeing the face of God. Isn't that incredible? And this is why at Spark, one of our core values is reconciliation. Our core value of reconciliation is is deeply tied right into that core value of love. That it's because we believe that God has so deeply loved each one of us in this room that he has desired to reconcile all of us to himself. That is seeing the face of God. That it is because we believe that God is so invested in reconciliation that he has given us Jesus to reconcile us to the Father. That he has given us the ministry of reconciliation one into another. Why Spark Church is going to go see the Noah movie? It'll be fun. Why are we going to go do it with Etzchaim? Reconciliation. It's an opportunity to love our neighbor. It's an opportunity to build bridges where bridges have previously been burned. It's an opportunity for us to start with an apology. To start with the begging of forgiveness. Where our Christian history has so many wrongs to own. In brokenness of interfaith relations. Or interracial relations. Or interfamily relations. Or whatever it is where we might be broken. We start with reconciliation because it's where we begin to see the face of God. It's where we see God show up. 
So if you want to see the face of God, anybody here ever wanted to say, like, I wish I was Moses, right? I wish I was Jacob. I wish I was Abraham. I wish I had been, had that incredible experience. And haven't you ever thought, you know, if I had that experience, I would never doubt. I would never, I would always know because I had this mystical, incredible experience. Well, what if it is that God is giving us every single moment, every single day, an opportunity to see the face of God? Victor Hugo in Les Miserables says so, right? You can all sing the song, like, to love another person is to see the face of God, right? And it's this incredible, beautiful song. Go listen. It's amazing. And if you haven't seen Les Mis, go. It's like the gospel. And, oh, it's incredible. This is, every single moment, an opportunity to encounter God at work. That when we see one another, when we see one another and we start to love with the love of Christ, we start to encounter and see the face of God. You don't have to go on retreat. You don't have to spend special extra money to have a spiritual guru sit you down and teach you how to sit cross-legged and chant. There's none of, you don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to go up, you know, to another, you don't have to go to Israel. You can go anywhere as long as you are deeply committed to being in relationship with God. And deeply committed to seeing that relationship through the power of Jesus, the love of Jesus spread out in our lives, we'll start to see that reconciliation and we'll start to see that face of God. I'm not the only one that says so, 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And here it is, ready? No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we see God. This is how we get to see God at work in our life, in our world today. When we push through, when we do that hard work of reconciliation. And at this moment, I'd like you all to think about that one person that you don't want to talk to ever again. The one person who has deeply wounded you in a way that is almost inexpressible. The one person, or or 10, or 20, or whomever it is, your entire family. You've got a whole surname you're going to attach Imagine for a moment if reconciliation were able to happen instead of brokenness. I think in my own life, there's times when I would call that a miracle. When you see that deep brokenness, I'm not talking about someone stole somebody else's sweater and wore it on the first day of school for school pictures. I'm not talking about that kind of brokenness. I'm talking about the deep brokenness that rips families apart, that causes us to hold our hearts back and far away from one another, that causes us to protect one another, ourselves, to build up those walls. All of those things that have kept us from seeing and encountering the divine, encountering Jesus showing up in that moment. Who are those people in our lives and how might we start to love them so that we might be able to see God at work? This is how we see it happen. So if you want to encounter God, like I want to encounter God, I want to have an encounter with God this week. Like if I were, if I just had these up here, I'm like, hey, by the way, anyone want an encounter with God this week? Just come on up, grab one and walk on out. You'd all be like, I I hope, let me grab one of those. I'd like an encounter with the divine. Thanks very much. God is amazing. Uh, can I can I hang with Jesus this week? Let me just grab one of those, put it in my pocket, drive off, and I'll have an encounter with God. Well, if you would like one, let's learn from the lesson of Jacob and Esau. 
first apologize. The first thing that Jacob does, he's like, hey, I'm going to meet a guy that last time I saw him, he wanted to kill me. And for good reason. I stole something of his through deceit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start this process by giving him a whole bunch of gifts. Now, we might think that's bribery, but in the Near East, this is exactly how he should come. In fear, in supplication, and with honor of what Esau's role is. To say, you are really my ruler here. My king, I'm submitting unto your power. Here are the gifts I would bring. In fact, there's even some commentaries that say, as, as this phrase, like when Jacob says to Esau, looking at you is like seeing the face of God. That maybe it's like just as you would go in to worship God, let's say eventually at the temple, you would bring gifts. They hear Jacob expecting this encounter with Esau is starting to bring these gifts. And he's laying them forward. And this is how he comes in a humble posture. And then he bows down seven times. He has all of his family members bow down as well. And it's this amazing moment where he's really asking for forgiveness. He's coming humbly before him, recognizing that reconciliation needs to happen, but that he is the party that owns the need for that. So first step, if you want to encounter God this week, apologize. Even if it's not your fault, you think. Even if you're pretty sure it's 90% their fault and 10% your fault. Even if you're sure it's 99.9% their fault and you've got that 1%. Apologize for the 1%. Or at least stand there and say, I'm sorry that our relationship is broken. Be honest with what you can say, but start with the apology for whatever it is you own. Now, if you're on the receiving end of this and you're sitting with somebody who's now going to go home and apologize to you, forgive. Esau sees all of this coming to him and he says, oh, my brother. He doesn't say, hey, let's sit down and talk about all the ways that you really did wrong and that you need to apologize. Let me enumerate how I felt all the times, how many times I thought I needed to kill you because he doesn't go through all of that. He doesn't go through how you stole my stuff, how you stole my, you know, first got me to sell it for stew. He doesn't, anybody, whenever somebody comes to apologize to you, you're like, okay, great. Now we got some ground to cover, right? I'm not going to just accept the apology. I have to go through all the ways that you were wrong and make sure you fully understand all of the ways that you were wrong before I can accept your apology. No, 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 no. If somebody has enough courage to start to come to you, Remember, this is about encountering God. Don't you want to do that? This isn't about who's right and who's wrong. This is about seeing the face of God. So if somebody starts to humble themselves and come to you, and let's say their apology is sad and pathetic. It's not, that's not the point. The point isn't, is the apology right? Did they get the words right? Did they use their I feel statements in an appropriate way? That is not the point. The point is that they've come. And your job then at that moment is to, like Esau, run to that moment of reconciliation. Run to the moment. See? Reconciliation right now needing to happen. Run to the moment. Run to that opportunity. Grab hold of this person. Pick them up. Throw your arms around them and begin to love them again. This is how we see God. Start to shine that love of Christ And you'll begin that reconciliation moment. Now you've reconciled. It's not just enough to say, okay, I forgive you and let's never talk again, right? 
The hard work of reconciliation comes in those next moments where you're going to be tempted to remind them of, of how they did you wrong. You're going to, spouses, anybody, how many times has your spouse apologized for the same thing? Because they're human, right? And so that's some pattern that they have in their life. And then you're, you and I, we're the ones to go, yes, but you always and you never and all the time. And we use all of these never the I feel statements. And we want to remind them again and again and again of how they have fallen short constantly. But what if instead we were to start that process of reconciliation and again find the moment to rush to forgive, again find the moment to rush to apologize? What if we were the first ones? What if the competition wasn't who's right and who's wrong? What if the competition was who gets to apologize first? What if the competition was who gets to see the face of God first? It's such a better competition. Who gets to reconcile first? Who gets to love deeply? Who gets to throw arms around one another and start to just lavish the love of the Father on that person? Who gets to just grab hold of that person and weep for the tenderness of that moment and to throw kisses upon them? Who gets to do that? Who wants to do it first? Rush to encounter God and then move on. Jacob and Esau, after this scene, they move on. They move on to their separate ways. They don't continue to come back to that moment again and again of all the hurt and pain in their life. And the next time we'll see the brothers together is when their father has died. They're back together again to bury their father. Reconciliation has happened. Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the dew of Hermon, of Mount Hermon, coming down on Zion. Beautiful, beautiful imagery that this is exactly what it looks like when we start to see reconciliation. When brothers are dwelling together, this is what we see in Jacob and Esau. Anyone going to rush to see the face of God this week? Maybe in the next hour? Over dinner? Right after Spark? Who will be the first to apologize? Who will be the first to forgive? Who will be the first to start to see the face of God? Not only in those wonderful mountaintop, weird, mysterious experiences of wrestling with an angel. And if that's happened to somebody in this room, please come talk to me. I totally want to hear about that. Um, But also in these moments of deep reconciliation work amongst the people we love. It's often most easy to reconcile with the stranger deeply difficult to reconcile with family. But this is the story of Jacob and Esau, that in both the wrestling and the reconciliation, we see the face of God. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you, Lord, so much for this opportunity to engage with this story. Thank you for showing us how to see your face in glimpses, only in part, not as a whole, Lord, but through the power of your Son who has fully reconciled us to you. Lord, we pray that we would walk in his example, that we would walk in his love through the power of your Holy Spirit, and that we would do the hard work of reconciliation, leaning into you, trusting you to do that work, humbling ourselves, being quick to apologize and quick to forgive, ready to move on and start afresh. Lord God, I bless everyone in this room and ask you to please empower them with the love of your son as we go about this hard work in our own lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.